Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Jay Miller. I've got a quick message for you that I really felt like the Lord after last week with the, uh, the uh, courts of heaven um, message has been really rolling in my heart because and we, we saw it a little bit earlier on during worship where, the, where it was like it's obvious it's time for us as a body to be about the Father's business for our city, not just for ourselves, right? And so how many people know it's okay to receive the goodness of the Lord for yourself and the wholeness? You have to be able to do that, right? But it's also important for us freely you receive, freely you give away. And so we need to learn how to be able to balance between what am I receiving and how am I giving away and being intentional with what we are giving away. And so when we talk about the courts of heaven, we talk about prayer this is the place where we really begin to engage with on, a, on another level. Love New Braunfels is going to be a way where we can actually physically bring the gospel to people, love on people and things like that. That's where we freely receive. We're freely given away in a very physical nature. But remember, we're not just engaging in on the physical realm. We're engaging in the spiritual realm, right? And so I, I started a series a while back called Keys to Expansion, and I just want to continue that series today. Another key to expansion really forming into this place, taking what we talked about last week with the courts of heaven, and then talking about some places of identity that allows us to be able to understand how we're engaging with the Father, and then what does it look like for us to engage from the place of friendship to be able to, be, to bring his kingdom uh, for, the, for the purpose of our city. Um, uh, there was a couple questions. I asked you guys to email me if you had any questions uh, from last week. And so there, there was one question that I thought was a really good question that I wanted to address um, before I jumped into it. So anytime we go into the courts of heaven or anytime we're engaging in the Lord, we have to understand every one of us is designed differently to hear the Lord, to perceive the Lord, to engage with the Lord. Okay? So you can look throughout Scripture and you will see people who have physical transportation, they're there in, the, in heaven itself engaging with the Lord. We can see John does that. We see Paul does that. We see all uh, different encounters where there is people who actually had that type of encounter. But and when it comes to Scripture, there's not a ton of those. That's not necessarily normative of every th- time I engage with the Lord that I'm, I'm just physically transported there. I've had a few encounters myself, but the vast majority of the time that I'm actually engaging with the Lord is, is actually the way that God's designed me. And so we do a teaching here a lot of different times of saying, what's your five senses? Okay, so we know from a physical nature that we, you know, we taste, we smell, we feel, right? We hear, we see, um, we can tell, even the sixth sense is the proximity. If you close your eyes, you can feel the level of proximity, right? There's a level of discernment with that. In the spiritual realm, you also have those senses. You have a spirit man. You have a spirit person. And so there's people who are going to be primary seers. When you encounter the Lord, you actually see it, either whether it's with your physical eyes or your spiritual eyes. But the way that you know, and you can say, I heard the Lord or I saw the Lord do this, and you tangibly saw it with your eyes. And in your, and in your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions translates that into a language that you can comprehend from a physical realm then there's going to be other people who hear things, audibly hear. I've shared it publicly. I've only heard the audible voice of God a couple different times. It was a tangible, audible voice. Whenever uh, Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist, the heavens open up, and they heard an audible voice. The people were there. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
There was an audible encounter with the Lord. And so sometimes people may actually have those type of encounters where you audibly hear the Lord. And so it's okay to say, I heard the Lord speak. But what happens if you don't see and you don't, and you don't hear audibly? Does that mean that you're not hearing the Lord? You're not seeing the Lord? You're not encountering? Of course not. The next level, and it's not, I, I need to change that, reverse that, rewind the tape. This is not about levels. This is about design. Okay, so every one of us can experience this, but then some of us have different primaries. So like a good example, Kelly's a feeler. She walks into a room. She can feel what's happening in the room. Many of you guys are probably like that. If somebody's sad, you feel the sadness. If somebody's happy, you feel the sadness, the, the happiness. In the same way, you can pick up on the emotions of the Lord and what's he doing. And there's a feeling of a sense of what he's doing that you're able to translate into language. Personally, I'm a knower. It's something that drops in my spirit. I know it. Uh, I, and you, somebody says, well, how do you know it? It just came as a download in a moment. I didn't learn it. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. I know it. It drops in my, th- my, in my knower. But then I can translate it. So most of the time when I walk up, whether it's during worship or something like this, and I say, I heard the Lord say, I saw the Lord do this. The majority of those times is it just dropped into my knower and then I'm able to translate it to a visual, or I'm able to translate it to language. Does, does this all make sense? And so this is not a uh, one-size-fits-all. This is not an all-must or a none-can. This just means we have a diversity of the ways that we actually hear and receive from the Lord. So when we're engaging in prayer, there's going to be different levels encounter. Brian Higby last week was talking about when he encountered and engaged with the courts of heaven. He's sitting at his kitchen table. He has his, his iPad before him, and he's typing out the encounter that he's having. But there's this literally, sometimes he's physically seen it, but a lot of times it's just this nowhere. It's dropping in. Here's what's happening. When I go before the Lord, here's what the adversary said. Here's what the Lord said. And is just really recording it down coming into this language. Why is that important? Because if you're not somebody who's a seer or an audible voice, you might think then, well, gosh, I can't actually engage with the Lord. And, th- and that's, just, that's just a lie from the pit of hell. Know how you primarily receive from the Lord, right? Engage with that and then begin to put that in tune. So I'll give you a good example and then I'll, and I'll go into my teaching for today. Um, I've had a couple different encounters where I actually had a, uh, um, a transportation type of experience. We were worshiping one time. Um, I, I play guitar. A lot of times what we do at our house is, is I'll just begin to play my guitar in the house, and the kids are doing life and stuff, and Kelly and I are just worshiping the Lord. And it was one evening, had a really radical encounter with the Lord. All of a sudden, I felt the commander of the Lord's armies. It was the, it's the, it, when you see in Joshua the commander of the Lord's armies, that's who Joshua encountered. I believe that was the pre-incarnate Jesus. Now we have the incarnate Jesus on our, this side of it. But he came walking onto our property. I, could, I knew it, right? It dropped into my knower. And behind him was a company of angels. They walked all the way around our property, surrounded our property. And it was just like all of a sudden you felt the fear of the Lord and the holiness of the Lord drop onto our property. So I set my guitar aside. I got on my hands and knees, and I'm just, I'm just worshiping the Lord. Like it was such a holy awe moment. Everything got silent. Uh, even, even like our dogs who are typically making some sort of noise. Everything in the house was just like really, it was the peace of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the next thing I know is I'm going, <gasps> and I'm taking this deep breath as if I hadn't breathed in minutes. 
Kelly is in there. She is praying for me. She, she says, it's okay. It's okay. Your spirit left and went, went somewhere else. And I'm like, okay, this is new, right? It's different. I can show you in Scripture where this is scriptural, but it was the first time I'd ever encountered and experienced this thing. And so I'm asking the Lord. I'm going, okay, Lord, what just happened? He said, number one, I made sure that I brought angels to come around and surround you and protect you. Number two, I sent you on an assignment. And, and where I was at is I went to an underground church in Syria, was serving communion, uh, got this picture of a woman who was the leader of the underground church, and she had like a shawl over her head, very vibrant colors and things like that. And, um, and I, could t- I could describe for you that the, the, she had a very pr- pronounced nose, uh, she's very plump. She's just one of those ladies that, you know, like grandma cookie something like you want to be, be in her house. But she's doing, and I know I'm serving because I've got, I had bread and I had wine and I was serving communion in an underground church. Our spiritual kids who, who've been overseas in the Middle East were about to go into Syria to do some work with the underground church. So I messaged them. I said, hey, call me. I shared them this experience. I said, I know I was there. Look for this woman. I described the colors, the whole nine yards. When they came back overseas, they actually didn't find the woman, but they found the exact, and, and actually Kelly has it at the house, the shawl, and it's the colors of this tribe of this woman that goes back generations that have stood against ISIS and all those different things on that too, and it was just this level of encounter. And so what am I telling you? Does that have anything to do with the courts of heaven? No. But it has to do with the fact, though, that you're going to have supernatural encounters that are going to be beyond your, your, your normal understanding. It's very biblical. It's very scriptural. And it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's actually about him. And there's a purpose. There's a glorification of Jesus that happens in the middle of that and being able to ask for. So I intercede now for that tribe Every time I pray, I'm interceding for that group. Why? Because I've actually met them. And one day I know I'm going to meet them probably in the physical realm. If I don't meet them here, when I die, I'm in heaven. I'm going to meet this woman. Uh, I'll give you another testimony. There was a man that was teaching up at uh, Christ for the Nations. And um, this, this young uh, African man came up afterwards and he says, I just want to thank you for a number of years ago coming to my village when I was a young man sharing the gospel I became a Christian when you came to my village. I've now become a pastor, and now I'm here at CFNI to be trained because of your ministry. And the, and the man's like, son, I've never been to your, I've never been to that part of Africa, period, at all. I, don't, I never. He's like, no, no, you were there. It was you. This, the reason I'm at the school is you told me to come to the school. And so uh, he's like, what am I doing? And so the Lord reminded him of, a number of years prior to that, he had been in his prayer closet. He's praying. He's interceding. He went into a similar type encounter I just described for you, and he was preaching the gospel in a small village in Africa. Now, the question I would ask you is, is there anything impossible for the Lord? No. The Lord said, so the Lord told him, no, your spirit man was actually there. I sent you there to be able to preach the gospel, so you have met him in the spirit. The reason I share this is, is we need to be very careful not to treat our faith as something that's man-made, something we can control, something we can manipulate, something that we could even be able to find language to fully comprehend or to explain to people. This is a supernatural faith that we're engaged in. You know, so I told somebody one time, says, well, I don't know about that. I said, okay, remember when Philip the first evangelist, is preaching to the Egyptian eunuch. 
He leads them to the Lord. He baptizes them in the water by the wayside. And then he's transported miles away. It's in your, in your Bible. Miles away, he physically disappears like Star Trek. Beam me up, Scotty. Miles away, he's over there. That's the Bible. How biblical do we want to be? Okay. Now, let me say this. Are we pressing in for those encounters? No. When we begin to pursue this because we want to have an experience, we're missing the point. What we're pursuing is the king and his kingdom. And in that place, it actually, then we have these encounters. It was the, re, why did Philip get, get transported? Because the Lord had another assignment for him to go preach the gospel. He's an evangelist. It would have taken weeks probably to be able to travel to where he was transported to. And the Lord did it in a moment. Do you hear what I'm saying? So, as we're entering into this level of the courts of heaven, where we're praying or interceding, the first thing you need to come down into is, is really shake off some of the weirdness that goes like, I've got to be super spiritual. No, I'm a beloved one. And I have this opportunity as I'm praying and as I'm interceding to do business. Now, there's something that Charlie said last week, and I just want to pick up on it real quick. <clears throat> is this the way you enter into the courts is we first get right with the Lord. We have to remember how we have been made righteous in Christ Jesus. It wasn't by your works or my works. It was by his works that we're made righteous. So when we're entering, yeah, and Catherine, is getting, the team's going to go ahead and hand you guys something out here. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, there's something that Charlie talked about last week that I just want to pick up on to, and then I'm going to add into a teaching, is that there's, there's ways that we approach prayer specifically that we find in Scripture. We approach the Lord first as a father. Let me hear you say the father. father. We approach the Lord as a father for us personally because a good father wants to give you good gifts. He wants to be able to teach you. He wants to be able to train you. And so when you're asking for things for yourself, when you're asking for petitions, you're actually going to directly to the father. This is where I, you know, Growing up Catholic, there's, there's a lot of different teachings out there. And, and just so you know, if, uh, it's important for us not to get so set in our Protestant thinking that we dismiss all the Catholics. Please? Okay, because if you confess Jesus is Lord and Savior, that's the important part. Okay. And so they had this understanding about prayer and intercession and having it was pray, was intercede for one another is an important part of it. Where, where I think it deviated is this, is that when we begin to go to the cloud of witnesses and believe that we have to go to the cloud of witnesses, saints that have gone before us, and we'll be able to have them pray for us instead of us being able to go directly to the Father, that's where it got off track, okay? You have direct access to the Father. You don't need to be able to go to somebody else in heaven. You go directly to the Father because he's, he's there for you. So you can go and you can pray directly to the Father for your needs. But then there's this place of that we move into a place of friendship with the Lord where we begin to go to God for other people, right? It's no longer about my needs, but then I have need, my friend has a need. And there's this verse talking about in Luke chapter 11, 5 through 6 that talks about, hey, if a friend shows up at your, at your doorstep and has a need, how are you going to approach it? It was actually a parable about prayer when he was engaging with it. And so when we go to the Lord in prayer, for another, we're actually going as their friend on their behalf, and that's this place of intercession on behalf of another one. The third place that he talked about is where we get into this place where we're praying and we're engaging with God as the judge. 
Now, when we hear this word judge, a lot of times we can get the, the old fire and brimstone, we can get this old religious mindset that, that has this angry, ugly-looking, mean judge sitting up there and looking at you, waiting for you to be able to sin. How can I judge you people, right? The reason we start with Father is so that we can actually have a pure view of who the judge actually is. The judge and the Father are the same. When you engage with the Father knowing that he is loving, he's caring, that when he judges, he judges as a Father. He doesn't judge as somebody that you wouldn't want to go to dinner with. Does that make sense? Right? It's not judgmental. He's, what he's doing, he's saying anything that's out of alignment with my righteousness that actually would actually bring death versus life, that's what he's judging, right? And so when we're coming into this place, we approach God as the judge because we're having to deal with an adversary. We approach God as the father because we need to have personal prayer requests. We approach God as a friend for somebody else because we're actually interceding for someone else. But when we come into this place and we realize, how do we actually call to do spiritual warfare? Now, Jesus finished it, right? We sing that song. He said it, it's set, it's firmly established. But let me ask you this question. Is there anywhere in all of creation that God's will is not automatically done? You live in it. You live in the only place in all of eternity where God's will is not immediately done. In the court of heaven, his will is done immediately. God says it, it's established. There's no disobedience in heaven. The, media, the, the, the place where there was disobedience from uh, Satan and the, and the angels that fell, immediately they were cut off from relationship. Immediately they were cut off from a place of influence. His will is done automatically in heaven because that's a place of purity. It's only here on the earth that his will's not always carried out automatically. And we have to go back to Genesis where it talks about, hey, I'm going to create Adam and Eve in my image who are going to be fruitful and multiply, yes, but they're actually going to be a fruitful and multiply as my image that actually takes dominion over the entirety of the earth. He's given us an assignment. He's actually subjected the earth to you and I and how we're actually either walking in beloved identity with the Father, which is healthy and whole, or we're not. And the, and the creation itself goes back and forth depending upon whether the people of God are actually walking in a whole relationship with Him. Right? And so in this place, we have a responsibility to say, hey, Jesus paid it all, but we have to enforce what He's actually paid for in the earth because God established that. Somebody says, well, if we're going into a court of heaven and we're doing this, does that mean that we're, we're discounting that Jesus already paid it? No. It means we're actually enforcing that Jesus paid it all. And the adversary who the Father has determined to allow to steal, kill, and destroy for a season. Yep, Alexa is actually responding to me. We're going to preach the gospel to, to uh, Amazon. They need it. Bezos needs it. Okay. Where was I at? Because that just totally sidetracked me. <laughs> it's all right. Um, it was a really good point, too. So we're in this place where we're being able to bring about the solution of heaven in, into the earth. Okay? So you have to operate. You have to understand how that is actually important. That's, that's where I was going at. Why do we have to pray for the sick? Very simple. It's not a trick question. There's sick people. Did Jesus pay for the sick? 
So why did he, if he paid for it, then why did he tell you to pray for them if he already did it? Because it has to be enforced. Take dominion. We are his what? His body. How does Jesus enforce what he paid for on the cross? His resurrected body. If you're born again, say I am. Say I am the body. So when you're praying for the sick, you're actually praying in the place of Jesus to enforce what he paid for on the cross. Now, what's going to happen is this. At one point, there will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. There will be a white throne judgment where the Lord says, okay, the fullness of time has actually been fulfilled. The enemy can no longer run around to steal, kill, and destroy, to deceive, any of that stuff. There's going to be this huge, huge, big court case that's brought up, and the Lord's going to judge every living person, every living being, angels and humans like according to their deeds and in that place is going to go all right if you're covered by the blood of the lamb you come in as a sheep if you're not covered by the blood of the lamb you're actually going to be judged according to your rejection of the gospel and you're actually going to go to hell and guess who's the very first one in that in that uh, parade it's going to be the devil and the devil will kneel before the lord and declare and remember it says every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, Jesus is Lord. And in that moment, the, the Lord's going to say, the judge is going to say this, enough is enough, now is the fullness of time. Satan, your time is done, you're in the lake of fire. And from that point on, guess what? The will of the Lord will be fully fulfilled all the time, everywhere in place. There's a new heaven, there's a new earth, there's no more sickness, there's no more disease. There's going to be no more need for us to be able to carry out the work of the gospel in that regard. From that point, we will have other work where we're living and reigning and ruling with him for all of eternity, but that's a whole nother time. Until we get to this point, our earth is still experiencing the curse, and Jesus paid it all. Hear what I'm saying? So it's important for us to be able to, uh, to bring about and when we judge what we're doing, we're judging according, oh, that's not actually what Jesus paid for. And I'm going to condemn what, what the enemy's doing so that I can bring about the righteous judgment of the Lord to release it into the fullness of what Jesus has paid for. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's talk about real quick on this then. There's these three different places of identity that I've been able to, that I've identified that, that the Lord, this is a part of a my life message. <clears throat> that when it goes into talking about the, the foundations of the kingdom, what are the implications if God calls you his son or his daughter, what are the implications of that statement? Does he really believe it? So what did he intend when he called you his son, excuse me, his son or his daughter? What are the implications? We need to explore this. I need to take seriously what God's given me. If he's called me his son, I need to understand the fullness of what its sonship actually means. If he's called you his bride, has he called you his bride? What are the implications of that? What comes with it? How do I pursue God as the bride? What, what is the responsibilities? What is, what's the gifting? What comes with being called the bride of Christ? I need to. If I'm going to grow into a level of maturity, remember Ephesians 4 talks about the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We'll equip the saints for the work of ministry. And we're certainly going to do that. But we don't need to stop there, it says. But then we will also help the body to grow up into the fullness of who Christ is. 
And so what that means is it's time for us as the bride of Christ to not be little babies anymore, but for us to grow into what does sonship look like? What does it mean to be the bride of Christ? So that we can get to the place of friendship with God. So I'm going to give you just a real quick teaching where we're talking about that sonship. Sonship is a place where you actually have your identity and your inheritance. This is where you inherit from the Lord. What's the Father's is yours. This is all about where you discover who you are. It's not about a ministry expression, but it's God's image expression within you. Hear me on this. Sonship is not where you do things for the Lord. I understand the scripture says Jesus, the son, did only what he saw the father doing. But what I'm going to propose to you is when he was doing those things, he was doing it from a place of friendship, not sonship. Because in sonship, if sonship's about doing, and now my identity becomes performance-based. If I'm not doing what God wants me to do, then I'm not pleasing him, and then suddenly now it's about my works and not his works. And God never requires his sons and his daughters to work for his affection, to work for his approval, to work for his inheritance. Inheritance comes to you because the Father's given it to you, not because you did anything to deserve it. So we have to understand this place of sonship is where I'm learning obedience. There's this verse in, um, where is it at? I thought I put it in here. It's in First Corinthians. Oh, here we go. First Corinthians four fifteen. For though you have many countless teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. What is he saying? That he's referencing Paul is referencing that in that time frame, a son of the house would actually be taught by um, servants in the house. They would they would have in this different. We're not talking about slave labor. What we are talking about is servants who were bond servants within the house. And so as the sons growing up, there would be an older, more mature servant in the house who would actually teach the son what it meant to serve, to learn to walk in obedience. Before the son could do damage with his authority, before the son could blow his inheritance, before the son could do any of those things, he was put with a teacher to tutelage him in what it meant to actually have the keys to the household, and operate in levels of obedience before there was an expectation of the son doing a single thing. Why was it 30 years old that Jesus actually was baptized? Because that was the coming of the age of a son in the Jewish tradition to actually inherit the father's business. So what did Jesus do for 30 years? He learned how to be a son. Before he had a ministry assignment, he learned what it was like to be a son. And so when we're talking about this, this is where I learned for obedience. I'm trained for the responsibility of the house. Again, it's not about a ministry expression, but it's God's image expression within me. I begin to understand who I am, what I look like, what are the characteristics, and how can I actually, because God's a good steward. He's not going to give you a million bucks if it's going to blow you up. He's not going to give you a million bucks if it blows his kingdom up. Steward the little that's in your hand. And if you're faithful with little, what? You can be faithful with more. This is sonship. This is what the expression of it actually looks like. I'll just give you two quick verses. John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right. Let me hear you, the right. 
to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Sonship is never oriented from you. It's oriented from the Father. Romans 8, 14 through 16, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Let me hear you say led by. You have to be obedient in order to be led. You hear what I'm saying? We will get to friendship where, yes, you're still led by the Lord, but you've learned how to be led by the Lord, and you already can anticipate what your friend wants you to do. But before you get there, you have to learn obedience because there's going to be lessons that you're going to have to go through where the Lord's going to tell you to do something. It doesn't make a bit of sense to you. And if you haven't learned this place of obedience, you might actually disobey the Lord and cut yourself off from inheritance. So the love of the Father disciplines his children to be able to grow them up to the place where they can be a full expression of him. And I just want to look at what that verse 16 says too. Verse 16, Romans 8, 16. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Whatever spirit you are allowing to join with your spirit will affirm the identity that you operate under. You have a choice. Whatever spirit. So what's happening in sonship? You're learning how to allow the Holy Spirit to join with your spirit so that he's Lord as much as he's your father in that place, and then that will reaffirm the identity. Why is the battle of the age actually over gender identity and sexual identity? Because the enemy knows that if he can get you to agree with a spirit, you'll actually manifest an identity that's a counterfeit identity. It's a false identity. But then you will be able to reproduce that identity. Uh, uh, this is not about the point of it, but they're, they're now doing studies, and we know this intuitively, but now we have studies to prove it. The growth of the transgender uh, ideology and movement that's happening, they're saying it's much more driven through social uh, peer pressure than anything else, which we knew that. But why? It's because there's this identity that's being propagated out there, and then people are joining their spirits with another spirit, and that spirit is informing their identity, and now they have the expression of saying, I'm gender fluid, I'm gender this. I'm th they don't have a clue. It impacts the physical realm. Why is it so important for us to come into this? I know who I am in Christ, right? This is why orphans, the, spirit, the orphan spirit is so dangerous. It's a sense of abandonment, loneliness, alienation, and isolation. It uses anger, jealousy, and fear, manipulation, and control. It tries to fill emptiness through things, unhealthy and sinful relationships. It, it tries to fill emptiness with self-medication. It feels like you have to earn acceptance. It feels like you have to use people to actually gain success. And this is where this place where the Lord's saying, you are my sons and my daughters, but in order to actually have the impact on the planet that I want you to have the impact on my planet, you first have to learn how to be. This is why I always say this. When I'm praying for people, you're my son or my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. You never have to work or earn for affection. I tell my kids this all the time. I'm constantly reaffirming from my spirit to their spirit, the Father's spirit that says this. You don't have to work for love. You're okay being who you are. When you become confident in that, 
what happens is this. Now I grow more intimate with the Father and I can handle deeper levels of intimacy, which takes us into this place of the bride of Christ. So here's what's interesting about the bride of Christ. In this place, this is about not inheritance, but covenant. Over here, I inherit what is my father's, but through covenant as the bride, I actually own what is my beloved's. What is his is mine, what mine is his. This is not inheritance. This is covenant. This is a deeper level of intimacy. This is a different level of relationship than you've ever had before, where you don't, again, you don't have to work for your inheritance. And in this place of here of covenant, you don't have to work for what you own. But you're actually getting greater levels of wealth, greater levels of influence, because what you're doing is, is you come into inheritance as a father, you carry what the father's in, uh, authority is. But when you come into covenant, all of a sudden now, you have covenantal authority to be able to do business on the behalf of your husband. I just want you to get this. This is so important. Guys, we have to get out of this weirdness that says, yeah, I'm a dude. I can't be a bride. I don't lose any of my masculinity whatsoever. But I have to understand this. I am not the bridegroom. In this relationship with Jesus, he is the one that bought me with a price. He paid the dowry for me. He paid the dowry for you so that we could come into a level of covenant relationship. When you're reading through John 14, through John 17, John 18, and all these, uh, he's talking about uh, the, the vine, the vineyard. He's talking about this oneness. All that stuff has to do with what the bride looks like. You get John the Beloved who at one point was John the son of thunder. Remember this? John the son of thunder wanted to act like a judge because some people were talking smack about Jesus. And he goes, hey, can we call thunder down from heaven? And the Lord doesn't rebuke him saying, you can't do that. No, what he said is, is why would you do that? Why are you judging them? Which tells you from the place of judgment, you actually have the ability to bring some sort of severe judgment on the planet. And what he's saying is this, until you can love the ones that you're called to be judging, you're sitting in over a level of authority, you can't actually handle that type of authority. Because you'll use the authority for selfish gain, selfish experience. But when you come into this place of covenantal oneness with the Lord, all of a sudden, what is Jesus's is yours. There's this place now here. I don't have to work for affection here. But in this place, this produces life. Sonship produces a level of authority. Covenantal relationship produces life. When you know God intimately, it begins to reproduce. How are you fruitful in multiplying his image? By covenant to covenant relationship with him. See, brides don't inherit, but they enter into ownership through covenant. What is yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. And this is where I discover who we are together. See, over here, this is who I am. This is where we are. Do you see the difference? Sonship. Who are you? How did he design you? What's the purpose and plan for your life? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, his plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Sonship. We come here. God, who are we together? 
and oneness. It brings this level of covenantal relationship where it goes to another level. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, listen to this, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. Notice in there, it's Christ, the husband, that did all the work. So again, here, I don't have to do anything to earn the favor of my father. Here, I don't have to do anything to be righteous. I don't have to do anything to be cleansed. What do I do? I come in and I submit into relationship with the one I'm in one with. He washes me by the cleansing of the word. So think about this. When you study this, it's going to change the way you study this when you say, I'm a bride. Father, I've had some crap that hit the fan this week. In my heart, in my life, in the world, I'm feeling dirty. Has anybody had that experience? Can we drop the religious stuff for a second? And the Lord goes, let me cleanse you. You begin to read this, and what happens is he begins to wash you, remind you this is who you are. That accusation that that person made about you, that's not what I think about you. Cleanses you, washes you. Notice in this place, it's still not about doing. It's all about becoming who he made you to be. Somebody says, well, what about Queen Esther? You were born for a time such as this. Yes, Queen Esther did it as a friend of God. She didn't do it as a bride. She did it as a friend. She was the bride of a king and an ungodly king, but she had access to the king that allowed her to carry up the king of kings and the Lord of lords design for Israel. Does that make sense? So as we move into this next step is this allows us to move into friendship. See, this is a place of, I don't have enough room, responsibility. This is a place of stewardship. Here, I own. Here, we own. Here, he owns. Do you understand that? If he's giving you an inheritance, he's not going, I'm going to give this to you, but I'm just going to yank it back. It's not really yours to do with it. That's not the way. If he gives you a gift, he expects you to actually steward the gift. As a son, you own gifts. You have talents. You have abilities. You own it. As a bride, we own it together. We own the work of the kingdom. We own the work of intimacy. We own all these things. Over here as a friend, he owns it. I start with lordship, and I end with what? Lordship. But what this is telling you is this. The level of intimacy that I have now with my friend, I wrote it down just to make it easier. Intimacy with God leads to taking care of God's things and carrying out his will. Intimacy with God as a friend leads to taking care of God's things, carrying out his will. Friends don't inherit or own things of, of their friend, but instead they steward 
as if their friend was there doing it. There's intentionality, and this is where I make God known. As a son, this is where he makes you known, according to his image. As a bride, this is where he makes the two of you together known in oneness. But as a friend, this is where I make him known. This is where we do. This is where the Great Commission is carried out, from the place of friendship. Because now... I learned how to actually learn obedience as a son. I learned how to handle tangible resources and money. I learned how to operate in levels of authority that would not actually kill me or other people because I was in this training season. When I was a bride on this place, this is where I learned to be able to go and care for what my, my husband actually cares about. If it's on his heart, it's on my heart. This is where my emotions become one with his emotions. Right? This is where my mind becomes one with his mind. How do you access the mind of Christ? As a bride. So that I now step out, and he says, here's your ministry assignment, Legacy Church. I want you to reach New Braunfels, Texas. And I can trust you with resources, because over here, when you've got money, or people, or time, or talent, you're never going to use them for your own benefit. You're going to use them for my purposes and for their benefit. Does this make sense? This is what he's calling us into. So when we go into the courts of heaven, when we go into places of prayer and intercession, we have to do it from this place of friendship. But in this friendship, I'm going to tell you this, I can judge here in the place of friendship because I know what my father and my husband actually are like. So I can project the image of God to a people who doesn't know him. Why? Because I've become one with him here. This is what he's moving us into. So this is what I want you to pray on this week. Before we come to love New Braunfels, how do you enter into sonship at a different level? Pray about it. Ask the Lord about it. Lord, how do you see me? What have you given me as my inheritance? How are you training me into levels of obedience? Let me tell you this. This will help you when you're on an assignment. Like, I know I've got a calling from the Lord. I'm supposed to go to X, Y, and Z place. I'm not supposed to have this impact. And the Lord's like, yeah, but the timing's not right yet. He's like, and you're like, but no, I know I, was, I got a word from the Lord. He's like, no, I love you too much. I want you to learn how to actually steward this first. Because by the time you get to your ministry assignment, you'll be operating as a friend. But if I sent you there now, you'll actually operate like an orphan and you'll hurt other people and you'll probably hurt yourself. And you won't actually love them like I love them. I'm going to go back to the bride for a moment and we're going to close it out. This place of bride is where I discover how to love. Um, why is my mind going blank on the prophet? Bob Jones, it's been told a couple of different times. Bob Jones is very accurate. He's wild and crazy, a little harsh sometimes. <clears throat> I remember uh, Sean Bowles, who's in, in California, um, was in relationship with Bob. And when Sean had a word to go to move to L.A. to actually redeem Hollywood and and uh, go out there and have an impact and influence. Bob called him up and says, 
the Lord, the Lord's judging California. There's going to be an earthquake, and it's going to fall off in the ocean, and all that, all that sin, all that stuff's going to fall in. And Sean goes, Bob, I respect you. I honor you. I love you. But I know the Lord told me to go there. And, and I don't think you're ready. You're understanding where I'm going. Well, it's a few years later. Bob dies, and he goes to heaven, and the Lord says, Hey, Bob, got one question for you. Did you learn to love? And Bob's like, oh, okay. He says, I'm going to send you back so you can learn to love. So your legacy will be one of love, not judgment. When Bob came back the last few years of his life, it changed the way that he thought. He actually called up Sean and repented, saying, I know now why you're there in California. The Lord loves California and Hollywood so much, he wants to give it every opportunity to redeem. It changed this lens. Why? Because I think Bob had this encounter here that allowed him to use his powerful gift as a friend, free from judgment, but now from a place of love and responsibility, as if the Father himself was there standing, interceding for them. Does that make sense? So why don't you stand up with me? I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to position your heart. And I want you to ask the question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? And just take a moment and listen to him. I just want to invite you to challenge the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth about what it means to be a son or a daughter. Invite him to reveal to you the implications of what sonship actually means for you. There's going to be others in the room that You've understood sonship. You've gotten that. You're not an orphan mindset. You don't, you don't have those. But the Lord wants to take you deeper in intimacy. And so you really need to ask the question of, is Holy Spirit, will you show me what are the implications of being a bride? What does it mean to be one with Jesus? What does it mean to be in covenant relationship where what is his is mine and what mine is his? And there's going to be some in the room where he's challenging your version of friendship. Because friendship actually comes with responsibility. Are you a brother's keeper? Yes. But friendship is only going to be understood from covenant and oneness with him. So I ask you, God, tonight that you would give us dreams, visions. Take us into a deeper place, Lord, where we can really operate in the fullness of your image on the planet right now. And we just declare this right now in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, 
go to our website, www.legacynb.com.